SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. for chicks and going to the game on Friday nights then forgetting where you parked it till Saturday morning and you had to get your buddy to drive you around looking for it. I think I see it, man. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. Hour 2 on a Friday for Sports Grid Radio Channel 204. Matt Peralta with you. How are you? You can follow me on Twitter at Sports Talk. Matt, the show's on Twitter at Pushing the Odds. Coming up, we're going to talk some boxing with Mike Coppinger. There are some big fights. couple here in Vegas, actually, but a big boxing weekend and a chance to Make some wagers and talk combat sports. The UFC event is kind of blah. <laughs> I mean, I love talking about combat sports on Friday. So Mike Coppinger from The Athletics is going to come on in to talk about the fights. And we got Lomachenko, who is my favorite boxer. Look, he's getting up there in age. And if you've never seen the guy fight, he's not the same fighter he was, the two-time Olympian. But he is incredible. The footwork is incredible. The speed the tactical ability this guy has, the technical skill that the guy has. I, I, I just I love watching him fight, and he's going to be fighting tomorrow night here in Las Vegas. So a chance to talk about that fight a little bit. So there's a lot of cool things going on, and we'll get to boxing with Mike Coppinger. But I, I want to talk quickly about the Olympics. And so I don't know if you guys are flipping around at night like I am, but like when the games are at a break or a commercial or whatever, I am watching the Olympic trials, and – it's just a really cool reminder that we are, you know, four weeks away from the Olympics. From the Olympics. And there is a story out today from the Associated Press that there is a real possibility that when we watch the Olympics in Tokyo, that there will be no one there, that no spectators at certain sporting events is very possible. And this is only four days after one of the heads made an announcement that there could be up to 10,000 local fans being allowed into the venues, but not exceeding 50% capacity, regardless if it's an indoor event or an outdoor event. And this has been talked about for a long time because fans were banned from traveling to the Olympics a long time ago. I mean, they they announced that a long time ago, saying, like, look, we're not going to have anybody there. But from one of the officials who was quoted at a news conference yesterday saying, what I feel is that no spectating should remain an option for us as we look into things. The situation is changing from time to time, so that's why we need to remain flexible and prompt in responding to any change. A no-spectator game is one of our options. I I mean, having some events without fans, okay, but like track and field without anybody there or basketball without anybody there or swimming without anybody there... That's not good, but the Delta variant over in Tokyo in in Japan is rampant. I mean, infections grew by 11% last week, and I really hope that all of our athletes are vaccinated that are going to be sent over to compete in the Olympics, but here's the problem. Look, Chris Paul was vaccinated. You can still contract COVID-19. Even if you're vaccinated, you just aren't going to get as sick or even maybe not as sick at all, but you could still get the get the COVID-19 virus and it could knock out your entire Olympic Games. I mean, if I was going over there 
as an athlete, knowing what's happening, I guess I would be in support of the fact that we're not dealing with any crowds, so there's no real interaction with the public. But, man, there have been some very loud calls about postponing the Olympic Games, and the folks in Tokyo are just like, absolutely not. And you have to think that the networks are 100% on board with this, and we know the Olympic Committee is on board with this because they only get paid if the games go on and the games are on television. The entire thing, this is a made-for-TV event. Regardless of what happens in, happened in Athens, Greece 500 years ago, the Olympics are a made-for-television event. And if you don't have it on television, there is no payout. The, the networks don't pay the IOC. Thus, all this preparation, all the money that's been spent, all the new venues that, that have been built, all this stuff is for naught. But Japan is not dealing well with the COVID-19 virus. And an Olymp- the Olympic minister in Japan had a wake-up call on Friday when she confirmed that a member of the the Ugandan team tested positive for COVID upon entering Japan last week and was infected with the Delta variant. Like, that is not good. Later in the day, a second Ugandan tested positive for the Delta variant. So this is the the variant that's extremely contagious, and we're putting in 11,000 athletes. We're bringing in 11,000 athletes plus coaches, staff, judges, IOC and sport officials. I mean, we're flying people from all over the globe in the middle of a pandemic. We're all going to fly them to the same place and put them together in close quarters. I mean, we're really asking for it. Again, I want the Olympics to happen. I hope that they happen. I'm bummed that we're going to have it most likely without any spectators being there in Japan. That's going to make it very awkward, but we, we're used to that, right? We've seen this for over a year now. Events happen without any fans. But the Olympic Village is not exactly a place where athletes stay away from each other. And all you need is one person to bring the COVID-19 virus into the Olympic Village, and it could run rampant, and it could literally shut down the entire Olympic Games. I'm beginning to think that we're not going to get through the Olympic Games. Like, we could start it, but it's kind of like we're literally gambling to see whether or not we're going to be able to continue and have this thing go for two weeks. I don't know. If I was an athlete, I would keep myself so far away from anybody. I would not go to the opening ceremonies if I was an athlete, vaccinated or not. If I, if I wanted to compete... And I wanted to make sure that I, all the training, all the hours, all the sacrifice, everything these athletes have done to make it to the Olympics, one of the best in the world, I would be around zero people until I got to my, my event. And then once my event was over, okay, fine, then maybe I would you know, go out or mingle with people or be around in the public. But I would never want to fly halfway across the globe and have my dream be taken away because they can't control COVID and I got infected. Man, it's not looking good right now for the Olympics in July. Got a lot more to come here, including some boxing talk later on with Mike Coppinger here on Pushing the Odds. Coming to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with the sports gaming strategies and information you won't find. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Bye. 
You're listening to Pushing the Odds. Powered by O'Reilly Auto Parts and Rocket Mortgage. And now, out of Las Vegas, Nevada, by way of Boston, Massachusetts, here he is, Matt Perron! It is Pushing the Odds here on a Friday, 702-751, Matt, the text line. Appreciate it, Mr. Buffer. Mike Coppinger is coming on from the Athletic at 40 past. A lot of boxing talk to get in with him. Thankfully, we're talking real boxing and not, you know, celebrity boxing and wannabe boxing, like real boxing with my favorite fighter fighting here in Vegas this coming weekend with Lomachenko back in action. So we'll do that coming up at 40 past. We have coaches getting hired in the NBA. Jason Kidd is going to be hired for the Dallas Mavericks. Jason Kidd's a pretty, a pretty polarizing guy. Like, you either like Jason Kidd or you like straight up hate Jason Kidd. I'm really indifferent to the guy. I just didn't really want him to be with the Boston Celtics. That was my whole thing. Like, did I want him to coach the Celtics? No. Do I think he's a horrible coach? No, I don't think he's horrible. I don't think he's great. I think the track record definitely is there. Like where you look at, he had he's had good years and bad years. Some people are like, yes, Jason Kidd's perfect for Luka Doncic. He's going to teach him everything about you know running an offense and being a point guard and scoring. Others are like, he's going to destroy the franchise. Luka's going to hate him. It's going to be. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like we'll we'll find out, I guess, as we roll in. You know, with a new head coach for the Mavericks. But Boston has a coach uh, now. Indiana's got a coach, and the Portland job is still open now that Dallas has grabbed a hold of their head coach, most likely with an official announcement coming today. So, yeah, (laughs) what is going on with Portland? Who is getting the Portland job? Is it Becky Hammond? Is she going to become the first ever head coach, female head coach in NBA history? Or is it going to be Chauncey Billups, who finally becomes an NBA head coach, as we're waiting to see if Chauncey Billups is going to get a job? Could it be Sam Cassell? Is he going to finally get a head coaching job? In the NBA, so you have, you have a really good job. Damian Lillard still needs a head coach. Portland is yes, it's in the West, so it's a tougher you know road to the finals. But I mean, that's a really good job that is still sitting there available for somebody to go and grab. So I, you know, in Portland's taking their due time, their diligence here, and you know, Boston went first, and then you know all the dominoes have started to fall here as to who's going to wind up getting a job, but. Uh, let's see. All right, we have a game seven tonight that we're going to get into, um, and we'll get. You know, he, here is my take on Atlanta and the Milwaukee Bucks. We'll get to more. I, I don't know what to do with it. Okay, all I know is everything I'm seeing, all the information being reported by the books, the public is all over Atlanta. Okay, the public is it's taking the eight points, and it feels right. That's why I'm fading it. Because I can't get my mind around the idea that the books are essentially saying that the game in game one was a fluke. And the public is betting it like that. The public is saying, Trey Young, 48 points. This is Giannis, two-time MVP at home after they lost game one. It's really hard to see them losing game two. And if they're going to win, don't they blow them out? Now, I'm also on the under. I'm on under 226, okay? And I think it's correlated, to be quite honest. I think if you see a cover by Milwaukee, Atlanta is not going to score. 
And so it's a big win for the Bucks. They shut down Trey Young. Bogdanovich's knee is not going to be healthy, not good. It's just kind of how they go together. And if you like the over, Atlanta in the over, I think also goes together. Maybe Trey Young does go off again. And maybe he is shimmering here again and lighting up that Bucks defense. And if that happens, then we're going back to the over. It's a tough game to call, man. It really, really is a tough game. I bet the under 226. I'm really tempted to lay the seven and a half, eight, eight points here with the Bucks because I think there's a, a decent potential for a blowout. Our four big stories. We call this the hard four. It's time for the hard four on Pushing the Odds with Matt Peralt. Number one, the L.A. Clippers. Domination. New blood in the NBA. Paul George, huge game. Best of seven series. Clippers are back in it. Chris Paul came back to record a double-double, but Devin Booker again struggled from the field. Clippers got a great performance from Paul George once again. He had 27 points and 15 rebounds in the 106-92 victory for the L.A. Clippers. After missing two clutch free throws at the end of Game 2, Paul George got a pep talk from his coach before Game 3. After the flight, after the flight, um, you know, we were on the plane, we talked about it, uh, we hashed it out. Um, and immediately we got ready for game three. Um, simple as that, we had to move on. I thought we did a great job of moving on. I moved on. Um, I had to be better. I had to be better. Um, and so um, that was just everything was just put in. And going into game three, um, all my energy was, was uh, directed um, towards a, a better game in game three. Number two, tonight the Atlanta Hawks are again eight point underdogs to the Milwaukee Bucks. Even though they're leading their series 1-0 and they won as eight-point dogs outright in game one. Trey Young scored 48 points in the first matchup, but Milwaukee is expected to play much better tonight. What's interesting is that I think Milwaukee defensively will be much better. But on offense, Mike Budenholzer wants his team to play fast tonight. I keep saying there's really, you know, there's the more static where um, maybe, you know, traditional things and you try and attack, you know, a player and, and then I, you know, I always lean on when we're playing good basketball and it's moving and guys are touching it and, and we're playing random. Um, you're really attacking, you know, any and everybody and, and um, you know, all players should, should have, you know, the offensive players should have an opportunity. Defensive players, you know, should have an opportunity to make a mistake um, and so on and so forth. And I really think that's when we're at our best. Number three, the Montreal Canadiens are headed back to the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time since 1993. I had Vegas in six. Instead, it's Montreal in six. Game six, won in overtime last night against the heavily favored Vegas Golden Knights. USA Network on the game winner for the Canadiens. Now Gallagher through the center zone for Montreal. Dano sneaks in, the pass across. They score! Nineteen ninety-three was twenty-eight years ago. Yikes! Fourth and finally seven. That's the number of no-hitters that have been thrown in Major League Baseball before July first. That is a record for Major League Baseball. The Chicago Cubs last night no-hit the Dodgers. Another no-hitter. Four pitchers combined to do it. Eight walks were thrown by the Cubs, but zero hits given up. No-hitter is a no-hitter. Marquee Network on the final out. Zach Davies started, went six, 
Gave it over to Tapera, to Chafin, and now Kimbrell. The 0-2. Swing and a miss! History in L.A. It's a no-hitter! Four Cubs combined on the 17th no-hitter in franchise history and the celebration. Hugs for Craig Kimbrell. What a night. Those are our four big stories for us here on a Friday. It's pushing the odds. 702-751-MAT, the text line. 702-751-6288. It is a little bit unfortunate that no-hitters have become so commonplace this year that they're not that special because that's a no-hitter. It's really special to the four pitchers who were involved. It's just not that, oh, my goodness, moment that it is in other years because it's number seven for this season. Seven. But the Dodgers now, I don't I don't think you ring the warning bell just yet, yet for the Dodgers, excuse me, but I think you come close to it. I think you need to be concerned about where the team is and what the team is doing. They got swept by the Padres. Now they get no hit by the Cubs. Oh, boy. Dodgers are four and a half games back. They've lost four games in a row. Giants looked really good. Padres are coming on. And the Dodgers have injuries. Some offensive problems. Not scoring as many runs as they once have. Next, let's talk about the new blood in the NBA and how much fun this is. Not that I hate LeBron, but I'm liking it that there's no LeBron next year. I'm pushing the odds. If business live odds, lines, matchups, injury report, sportsgrid.com, betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. was the moment I knew that my son's minus one bet was dead. A banked in half court three from Paul George to put that team up was kind of like, uh oh, (laughs) and I was on the Clippers in the first half last night and it didn't pan out. The Suns wound up winning the first half. But you just kind of felt it that everything was going in the right direction for the Clippers and that they had played really well in the first quarter, not great in the second quarter, but things were starting to roll in the right direction for them. Paul George goes for 27 points last night and 15 rebounds, eight assists. He was awesome. Awesome. And the thing that's really interesting, at least to me, about these playoffs is that we are not dealing with the LeBron factor. And I, and I want to make sure I'm being perfectly clear with this. I'm not trying to be disparaging or rude to LeBron James. I like LeBron James. But it's kind of the same way how, is I, how I feel about the Islanders tonight against Tampa. Tampa won it last year. 
I would love to see the Islanders win tonight and the Islanders closing out their building, closing out the barn for the Islanders to win the Stanley Cup. I, I've liked them since the bubble. I've bet on them a ton. I just think they're a really cool story with Barry Trotz getting fired from the from the Capitals after winning the Cup, and then he comes back and takes the Islanders' job, and if he takes them to win the Cup, I mean, how much of a bleep you is that to the Washington Capitals if Barry Trotz wins the Cup? So I'm partial, and I like that story. The same thing here with Chris Paul. It would be incredible for Chris Paul to finally win an NBA championship. That Chris Paul has done everything, 11-time All-Star, you know, Olympian. I mean, Chris Paul has been he's done everything else except win a ring. And for him to win a championship, it would be incredible. But what if Paul George took the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard to win a championship? Doesn't the whole conversation around Paul George change? Doesn't the entire narrative around his career that he's a choker, that he's a Robin, not a Batman. Doesn't that all change if that were to happen? I mean, it is it is really interesting to me to take a look at the players we've got right now in the NBA of the Final Four. And we've got Trey Young, we've got Giannis Antetokounmpo, we've got Devin Booker, Paul George, Chris Paul. There's no Kawhi, because he's hurt. There's no LeBron, because he's out. There's no Kevin Durant. There's no Kyrie Irving. There's no James Harden. This is all new. These are new players getting a hold of the spotlight and taking advantage of the stage, showing their talent. Trey Young is in his third year in the NBA, and in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals, in his first ever trip to the postseason, he makes the Eastern Conference Finals and drops a 48-chip on the Milwaukee Bucks. The dude doesn't care. He's shimmying. He's smiling. He's taunting. I mean, this is the dude that told MSG he took a bow. He took a bow at Madison Square Garden. Trey Young took a bow after what he has done. I mean, that is the swag level of this dude is off the charts. The worst you can say about Trey Young is what the fans were chanting at him saying he was balding. Like, that's the most insulting thing we've heard so far at Trey Young for the way that guy has played. He has been electric. These playoffs have been so incredibly fun. And look, I think Devin Booker is going to bounce back. I do. He scored a triple-double in Game 1, 40, a 40-point 40 triple-double in Game 1, and then his nose broken. And clearly the broken nose is a problem. He didn't shoot well coming back from the broken nose in game two. He winds up losing last night. Again, doesn't shoot well. But Booker after the game saying that his team is not going to be discouraged by losing one game. I mean, the spirit's high. You know, we move on to the next one. You know, that's what type of team we are. Um, we've been that way the whole whole season. So, you know, we're going to stick with that. Um, we're going to come in tomorrow, go over film, regroup, and get ready for game four. I've never broken my nose, but I've definitely, I, I, I nearly have broken my nose. The dude had his nose reset, by the way, without any anesthesia. That, yeah, Booker's a tough dude. But 15 points for him is not what you expect. But 5 of 21 shooting from the field and 1 of 7 from behind the three-point line, equally, you don't expect that. Now, defensively, the Clippers played much better at home, but it was more than that. He's got a broken nose. It's hard to breathe. Your eyes are swollen. Your head is all foggy. You're on pain medication. You just don't feel right. And so Booker didn't play well. Chris Paul comes back 
records 12 assists. We talked about that last night. I bet over 8.5 or yesterday on the show, over 8.5 and, and over 9.5. Eight and a half was minus one thirty. Nine and a half was plus one twenty-two. You could have bet eight and a half, nine and a half, ten and a half, and eleven and a half, and you could have run the table. And I think plus eleven and a half assists over eleven and a half assists for Chris Paul last night was, I think, at Fanduel somewhere around like plus three fifty. So you could have really cleaned up on that prop with Chris Paul recording 12 assists last night. But he was rusty shooting the basketball. It was clear that mid-range jumper that had been so deadly in the last series just wasn't as sharp as it had been. He hit two threes. It was two for seven, scored 15 points, and had a double-double. But, I mean, Aiton had 18 points and nine rebounds. Was awesome in the first quarter but wasn't great late, wound up minus 25 on the floor. They really exploited him. Clippers went small ball, and with him on the floor, it really gave a lot of open shots to the to the Clippers shooters, guys like Paul George and Reggie Jackson. George goes 3 of 11 from behind the three-point line, but he was finding open, uh, open shooters, had eight assists, rebounding the basketball with 15 defensive rebounds, which was gigantic. Had 23 points for Jackson, 12 points for Terrence Mann. Zubak was great. He had 15 points and 16 rebounds. His best game by far. He was a huge factor in that game. He was plus 28. That's the best of any player for the Clippers. With him on the floor, they dominated. Offensive rebounds, he had six of them, nine of ten from the free throw line. I saw some people on gambling Twitter, and I think they were making some good points, that he was going to be played off the court like he was in the first couple of games by the Suns, and that Aiton on the floor, Aiton just killed him. And so Zubak was not going to play all that much. Now, I played 33 minutes last night. He, he people were saying bet the under seven and a half rebounds for him because he's not going to play. He doubled that. He had more than doubled that. He had sixteen. He had sixteen last night. Sixteen rebounds, two blocks, fifteen points. He was awesome. Just absolutely awesome. And this Clipper team, for whatever reason, from game three on, they are a totally different team. They need to go down 0-2, I guess, and then they start playing well because they've done it. You know, they have one loss in a game three or, or later so far here in these in these playoffs. That's incredible. We'll see what happens in game four. But, man, man it's a lot of fun. Trey Young is a lot of fun. Trey Young tonight, he's going to have to be great. I think the play, as I mentioned, is the under 226 is what I'm on. And I'm also on, I, I'm laying the points here, minus eight with the Bucks. I, I think the Bucks are going to win big. I'm not nearly as heavy. I, I'm, I'm, you know, a, a much bigger play for me is on the under 226, and I'm sort of not really sprinkling, but I'm just kind of lightly going on for the minus eight for the Bucks. But Trey Young is going to have to be huge, and when it comes to clutch time and crunch time, his head coach Nate McMillan knows what Trey Young can do. You know, Trey uh, is showing growth. I think our team is showing growth. Uh, in the sense of how to handle situations like that, going down the stretch and playing in close games. Uh, they've been able to, uh, you know, they're pretty clear about what they need to do on both ends of the floor, uh, understanding time score situation. Uh, and then they are, you know, they're, they're connected. You know, they're getting organized on the offensive end of the floor 
uh, running sets. Uh, they, you know, uh, they have done a good job of uh, recognizing what the defense has uh, given them. I can't wait to see what Trey Young does tonight because you know what the Milwaukee fans are going to do, right? I mean, Trey Young now becomes public enemy number one, and they know, and everyone knows that you have to stop this guy. And, well, <laughs> no one has found a consistent way of doing it. 48-11-7 is insane in his first ever Eastern Conference final. If if he does this again tonight, if he puts on 40 points again, if he's knocking down three after three, he got to the lane so much in game one, and he got to the foul line so much in game one that Milwaukee's going to have to try to find a way to get the ball out of his hands. That was the, the shift that Philly made between game one to game two. They changed, they, they, they pivoted, if you will, away from, all right, let's play our defensive set. Let's, we can guard them one-on-one. Everyone's saying that Holiday is going to shut down. Ah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm serious. I think you've got to double-team him. I don't think you can just say one guy right now with Trey Young. He's six foot one. You think he's ah, he's little. He can't handle it. At one point, he was guarding Giannis in the post. I mean, he's fearless. So the knee for Bogdanovich, I I need to know what the what, what the knee is going to be. Okay, but game twos. I mean, look at the Philadelphia series, right? What happened? Atlanta wins game one. They get blown out in game two. It feels like that's what's going to happen. And the public is all over Atlanta tonight, all over them, taking the eight points. Some books reporting 75% of the money coming in here, all on Atlanta. I will fade the public. I like the under more, but I'll lay the eight points with the Bucks as well. Next, Tank Davis in action tomorrow night. We've got a huge fight card coming up with Lomachenko. Let's get to it next. Mike Coppinger from The Athletic joins us next. perspectives and actionable insights 24 hours a day seven days a week it's the winning edge what are you gonna do Not- sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com To pushing the odds live from Las Vegas. Here's Matt Peralt. All right, this is a good weekend here in Vegas for boxing, and my favorite boxers in action. Tank Davis is in action. Got a couple really big fights I want to get into with Mike Coppinger from the Athletic joining us here on Pushing the Odds here on a Friday. Mike Matt Peralt, how are you? Hey Matt, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you for the time. Really appreciate it. Let me ask you right now about. Lomachenko's career before we break down the fight which I agree with those that say he's got a real problem on his hands coming up tomorrow night but has the number of fights or the age the ring number number of rounds is it catching up to him right now yeah man I think it is I mean he's had what almost almost 400 amateur fights two Olympic gold medals and 
He's been a smaller guy fighting in the larger weight classes for a long time now, and a lot of injuries. He just had reconstructive shoulder surgery after that loss to, to Tifimo Lopez. He's had uh, that same shoulder operated on in the past and a bunch of other injuries. So I'm curious to see at this age now, getting older, still fighting at 135, what kind of toll it's going to take on him. In terms of his skill, is he still you know, just tactically better than his opponents, or, or are they catching up to him as he slows down a little bit? Does that nullify his footwork and his technical ability? No, I haven't noticed that at all. I, I think his skills are still, you know, absolutely elite, top five in the world. You know, as you said, excellent footwork, fast hands, uh, amazing boxing IQ. The reflexes are there. But against Stevie Lopez, he was really tentative for the first six or seven rounds. But mm. every time he threw, he had a much bigger, powerful man counter him sharply. But we saw what he did when he opened up, and I think he's going to have his hands full, like you said, tomorrow night. So the opponent that he's facing is one that I don't know a whole lot about. So I'm curious if you can kind of educate me and the public. Nagatani is 19-1, and 13 knockouts. But everything I'm reading, everyone's saying, well, watch out for this dude's power and that Lomo could be in big trouble. I mean, look, this is a gambling show, right? And... Nakatani is about plus 800 right now. I think it's a good guy to throw a flyer on. I'm not saying he's going to win, but this guy is almost six feet tall, uh, fighting at 135. Lomachenko is, you know, maybe like five six. Five, you know, he's a little guy. Uh, he's very awkward. He's a big puncher. He knocked out Felix Verdejo in December, and we fought Tito Lopez a couple of years ago. I actually scored the fight a draw. Uh, I thought it was a really close fight. Some people had it wider, of course, but. He's awkward, and he gave Lopez hell. I expect him to be a tough out tomorrow night. At that height, is he? does he have any problems making weight? Can, can he make the weight? He's, any history with weight missing? He's, he's made the weight. Um, but, and look, it's not, I don't know how much the height is going to come into play. It's not like he's going to try to fight Lomachenko at range. This is the guy right. who comes right in and likes to trade on the inside. He's very awkward. The, the angles he throws his punches from. Just the way he moves and everything. I think it's sometimes tough when you're a guy like Lomachenko. Um, you know, you're so well-schooled when you're fighting someone who doesn't fight by conventional methods. You don't really know what to expect. Six, 71 inch, inches, a six-inch reach, uh, reach advantage here for Nayatani. So you, say, you think he's going to fight on the inside? He won't use that distance, the height, to his advantage? I don't think he'll use it that much, to be honest. I think he'll, I think he'll try to grind Lomachenko out, trade with him on the inside, and, you know, try to use that power. He can punch. He knocks Verdejo out. He actually survived a knockdown early in the fight, so he's gutsy as well. But he is there to be hit. I think, I think opponents land about 40% of their power shots against him uh, per copy box. And his defense is really not great. So if Lomachenko is up to the task, he'll be there to land on them. You know, I was watching a highlight reel that Top Rank had put out for Lomachenko yesterday. And I couldn't believe how many fighters have quit on the stool against Lomo. Why is that? Why do so many fighters throw the towel in against him? That's so funny, yeah, because I remember the top rank was billing him Nomaschenko for a while. You know, he had to retire Nicholas Walters and Guillermo Rigondo and a few others. I think it's just that he just frustrates fighters so much. You know, his defense is so good. His offense is – he just blends offense and defense seamlessly. Frustration. Fighters just gave up. Plus, he put beatings on him, too. I mean, he can punch, especially at the lower weight. But now what we're seeing is – at 135, you know, he's not as dangerous. I mean, Luke Campbell had some good moments against him. Jorge Lamar has dropped him. Obviously, he lost to Lopez in a close fight. But Lomachenko is trying to get a rematch with Lopez later this year or early next year, and he's going to need to win impressively next, tomorrow to get it. 
The interesting line, you were talking about the numbers in this fight. Lomo's a monster favorite, but the fight to go to the distance is only minus 120 to the yes and the no. Do you see this fight ending by knockout or going the full distance? I think it's going to go the distance. Um, you know, I, I, again, Nakatani hasn't dropped before, but he's really tough. He's resilient. He's a lot bigger than Lomachenko. So uh, I, I do think it's going to go the distance. All right, the other fight, Mike, that's coming up tomorrow is, is Tank Davis against Mario Barrios. And talking about a height advantage, I mean, Barrios is way taller <laughs> than Tank Davis. That's not abnormal here for this. But what do you make of, of this matchup? And, again, you know, does the power for Davis, can he get a stoppage for this fight? That's the question for me. I, I don't see any way Barrios beats him. Yes, Barrios is a lot bigger. Barrios is actually going to fight at 147 before this opportunity came along. I think mean, you're talking about Javante Davis, whose best weight really is 130. He fought at 135 a bunch. But, again, Barrios, like Nakatani, does not use his height. So I think we're going to see Tank Davis close the distance, get in there, and really chop him down. Does he get the knockout? I, I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's a good chance, but I think, definitely think he wins. What do you make of these guys, you know, are all kind of in the same area weight-wise with Team Fimo Lopez, Tank Davis, Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney, uh, you know, Lomo, obviously. It feels like there's so much talent. I mean, Bud Crawford, uh, you know, the, the, there seems like there's so much talent right now in and around this weight class for boxing. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's the most loaded weight class um, in, all, in all of boxing, 135. But the problem is, of course, Matt, is these guys actually need to fight each other. They're not fighting <laughs> each other yet, other than Lopez and Loma. I am, I am hopeful that next year we're going to get some of these fights. I mean, Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis were actually pretty close to a deal before Ryan Garcia went down this, you know, Kyoto quest to get Manny Pacquiao and killed the fight. And then Tank Davis went to Barrios. But, um, man, I, there's so much talent. And also you have some guys at 130 that are now moving up to 35. You have Jojo Diaz, who I think is pretty talented fighting 135 against uh, Javier Fortuna on July 9th. And then you also have Shakur Stevenson, who is getting moving to 35 sooner than later. In terms of Pacquiao's presence and everyone wanting to gun for him, how, how tough is that for these guys who want the big payday? They don't want to risk their O, if you will. They don't want to risk getting, getting knocked out or, or losing a high-profile fight. And they just want the money fight. They just want a, a, want a big name. If, 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 how much of a problem is that for boxing? I think it is a problem in boxing. And it's, a lot of it is due to the promoters because the promoters often punish these guys for losing. You don't see that in the UFC. Dana White doesn't nope. punish you for losing. He throws you right back in the mix. And that's the way it should be. As long as you're putting on good fights and giving a good effort, more power to you. But I, I am hopeful that boxing is going to start you know, going in that direction. I mean, we're seeing Lomachenko. He just lost. Everyone yeah. still wants to see him fight, right? Um, but Manny Pacquiao, man, I cannot wait for Manny Pacquiao, Errol Spence, August 21st. Pacquiao, that line's been moving, too, a lot. Pacquiao, a lot of money coming on Pacquiao. I think he's now, like, plus 250. He opened up at, like, maybe plus 350. And I think once those high rollers from Asia come in, that line's going to drop even more. <laughs> FanDuel's got it spur, uh, with Earl Spence at minus 280, plus 205. Tickets went on sale today, actually, for that fight. I've seen a lot, a lot of people pushing that, that T-Mobile Arena for that fight coming up later on in August. It feels like we're in for a really cool summer here in Vegas for the boxing world. I mean, is, is there one fight besides Fury 3 and Wilder? Is there another fight you're really looking forward to? Uh, for me, it's 
for me, it's Pacquiao Spence. Pacquiao Spence is the fight of the year for me. I mean, you're talking about a legend, you know, an all-time great in Manny Pacquiao. Probably going to be his final fight. He's going up for a presidential run in the Philippines. And he's fighting a guy in Errol Spence that he's an underdog for a change, one of the five best fighters in the world. To me, it's that one. But I'll be there for that one. I'll be ringside for Fury Wilder 3, which I'm also excited for. And other than that, I think we'll probably see Canelo Alvarez against Caleb Plant potentially September 18th in Las Vegas, too. Really? Anybody going to take the Allegiant Stadium jump? Anyone looking at that? Or it's all going to be T-Mobile Arena? T-Mobile Arena for these next two fights. I, I want to say that maybe Canelo and Plant, September 18th, I want to say there's a game there. Yeah. But I'm not positive. So I, I think that you know, could get rid of that option. But otherwise, yeah, Canelo does fill out stadiums easy. Uh, at some point, someone's going to have to make the jump there. Uh, and I'm sure it's going to be a big uh, honor for anyone who does it. I'm also excited you, for the spear. That spear looks awesome. <laughs> you mentioned that Pacquiao still is a draw. Is Oscar De La Hoya still a draw? I'm not so sure, and there's also a difference. I mean, Oscar De La Hoya is fighting in an exhibition match. Um, Manny Pacquiao fighting in a real fight against one of the five best fighters in the world. So I don't know that people like paying for these exhibitions, but I guess we'll find out. I mean, Oscar is one of the biggest stars of all time, and, you know, that's going to be September fights coming to Vegas. What do you make of the exhibition market right now? I mean, UFC fighters are getting involved. We just saw, you know, a, a fight in Mexico where you have one of the greatest UFC fighters of all time fighting against, you know, Cesar Chavez. Do, is, is it good for the sport that we're having all these exhibitions? I don't know if it's good or bad for boxing, honestly. But, um, you know, look, novelty events only work when they're novel, right? I think at some point this fad is going to wear out. People are going to be bored with them. But, you know, I do want to say, since this is, uh, you know, we're talking about gambling, when it comes to these fights, you, people think you can gamble on the winner and loser. You really can't because there's no official winner, you know, yeah. unless the, there's a knockout or something. And I think there's a lot of confusion surrounding that. I totally agree. The books hate it. I mean, the, the books, some books feel like they have to put it up. Vegas ignores it. Vegas won't put lines up for that very reason because they want no part of the explanation to the betting public. Hey, by the way, there was no winner here. And so you may have seen one guy dominate, but there's no official winner. So we're not paying out tickets or no, we're not putting up lines either on that. They would prefer to look at the Wilder Fury type of situation or, you know, the handle for Pacquiao Spence is going to be off the chain here. It's going to be ridiculous to see how many people are going to come in to bet on that and Pacquiao has such a huge following here in Las Vegas uh, from fan from, from, from people from that part of the world that live here. So it's it's going to be awesome. Before I let you go, Mike, what'd you make of Deontay Wilder's performance at the press conference where he basically wouldn't answer any questions from the media? I thought it was bizarre, Matt. I thought it shows somebody who's maybe locking in some confidence. You know, he doesn't want to. I mean, look, you lost, no big deal. Just take the loss like a man. Uh, don't make excuses. So for me. From a psychological standpoint, if you're making excuses and trying to find a reason why you lost and reason is anything but a bad performance, that doesn't bode well for this rematch. You know, if, I'm, if I'm betting on this fight, I'm hammering Fury by knockout. Yeah, I think it's coming. I, I, I did not like his makeup at all. Mike, great stuff, man. Thank you for the time. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much, Matt. Catch you next that time. That is Mike Coppinger, at Mike Coppinger, 
boxing insider for The Athletic, joining us here on Pushing the Odds. Really good stuff with him. I love when people come on and they know what we talk about and they start talking straight about the numbers. I love it. It's like he covers boxing, not gambling, but he's basically giving you picks and plays as to what you should be betting. I'm with him, Fury by knockout. I love Deontay Wilder, okay? I lived in Alabama. I, I, I've got connections. You know, I lived in Bama. I lived in Omaha. I love Bud Crawford. I love Deontay Wilder. I'm very concerned about Deontay Wilder as to what I'm watching, and I think you can't just become a boxer. Like What I mean by that is Wilder is a straight puncher, and I'm not watching any videos we're seeing. I'm not seeing him change up. First fight, a draw. Second fight, a knockout. I don't know what changes in the third fight. Tyson Fury just is a superior boxer to Deontay Wilder, and... I didn't buy the idea that Wilder got tired from the you know costume he wore into the ring. He got beat, period. And I think Fury will do it again. And Fury knows he's just the better boxer. And Fury will do it again. But Pacquiao, man, if he wins, yikes. I don't know. Earl Spence Jr., give me minus 150, and I'm all over Earl Spence Jr. The public bets on Pacquiao. Yeah, some artists work in clay, some in oils. We work in action. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Pushing the odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. All right, real good stuff with Mike Coppinger. I really enjoyed that conversation. I'm, you know, I'm a boxing person. I came into the mixed martial arts world from boxing, and I've always, boxing has always been something I wanted to do. So over the last three years, getting into the gym and working, I cannot stress this enough and I did this because I read a book by an incredible person the book is can't hurt me and I couldn't recommend it more to go ahead and read it and the the biggest takeaway from the book is don't be afraid to be the dumbest person in the room don't be afraid to fail and don't be afraid to suck at something and so I took that to heart and I've had you know I've got different bucket list items in boxing was it and so I you know I, I was fortunate to meet a UFC fighter former UFC fighter named Stefan Bonner and I was doing you know I was at a local gym doing like these like Thai bow type classes and he was like you're not boxing you're just doing like this is not boxing He's like do you want to learn how to box I was like yes he's like okay meet me here this time let's go and that was 2018 December of 2018 is when I met Stefan Bonner and so I've been working now, this is going on three years, and it, you know, I, I now work out at a gym that has a ton of professional boxing guys who are in it. And it's awesome to listen and talk to them about where the game is, and they are frustrated. Boxers are frustrated. Pro boxers are angry. They're trying to figure out how to get a hold of money fights. And the exhibition fights are driving them nuts because it's about eyeballs and attention, and it's not about skill. It's not about who can win. It's not about who are the best fighters fighting. And the UFC is making them angry, too, because like Mike said, 
The best fighters aren't fighting each other because they're afraid that if they lose, they get dropped by their by their promotion. And that's awful. That shouldn't happen. We should want these fights. We should commend these guys. Every time we fight, we have a winner and a loser, right? We punish the loser way too much when they lose. we got to stop doing that in boxing. Next up here on XM, you guys have got lunchtime with Linemakers and Brian Blessing for Sports Map. we got two more hours to go. More on the games happening tonight on a Friday for Pushing the Odds. Lost in a sea of stats, averages, and injury reports? It's okay. Breathe. You found it. Sports gaming strategies and info. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. Coming at you all day. Every day. With more attitude than other lesser networks would deem appropriate. We are the...